0: The Dave Hooker Show, represented by Banks and Jones, Tennessee's trial attorney. Play to win. BanksJones.com Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get caught, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker.
1: All right, here we go. Welcome to the program. And as usual, absolutely loaded up with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Coming up, would you rather have a top quarterback or top class is plural? Also, what to expect from Tennessee's wide receiver class incoming right now as far as 2024. Everybody's excited about Mike Matthews, but will he have an impact this year? We'll discuss that. Also, Tennessee's Polynesian pipeline. They've had one before. I've seen it lead them to nearly a championship. We'll discuss. Also, the next coach to win a national title for the first time. Is it Josh Heupel? A lot of people seem to think uh, 247 that it might be Lane Kiffin. And a very special guest at the end of the program. I'm just going to say that he's a former ball and can provide a lot of insight a little bit later. So you've got to hang tight and he will be with us a little bit later in the program. First, I need to admit that I'm somewhat of an idiot. Um, Caleb
2: Calhoun, how are you, sir? I am good, but now I want to know why you're an idiot. Okay.
1: So I go to the gym yesterday and please hit the like and subscribe button. We greatly appreciate that. I go to the gym yesterday. First guy comes up to first gentleman and, in. And he, I'm not going to name him because I don't want to, you know, I, I didn't ask if I could name him. So, but anyway, he he's played in the major leagues, played for the Mets. So he knows athletes, right? And he heard my comparison of George McIntyre to Patrick Mahomes. And the first thing he says, he's just the funniest guy. He goes, Patrick Mahomes, eh? And I'm like, oh, man, that didn't read right. So I want to clarify a couple of things. I think that George McIntyre gets away with turning, gets away with some things that other quarterbacks can't get away with, like turning his back to the line of scrimmage, like the 360 sort of thing, like throwing off of one foot. That was my comparison. You know, Caleb, I'm not predicting that george mcintyre will be the next patrick mahomes at least i hope so right
2: no i don't think you're predicting that george mcintyre what you're talking about is because patrick mahomes is this i mean he's the i don't he's almost like the scripted prototypical quarterback for the nfl now in terms of because josh allen fills the void too big arm beautiful touch on the throw but also quick feet so think like i guess would be like tyler bray but with quick feet is the way the nfl quarterbacks are now right with a little bit of fluidity Exactly. Yeah. I, I
1: don't think that the thing up, the thing about McIntyre though is he breaks so many rules. Now I I will say this, I do not know if that's because of the level of competition he's playing, or if he's if he's that athletic. So some people brought that up to me last uh, yesterday as well, which is very fair. No question. Uh, we're gonna have our special guest uh, hang tight. I don't know why he's bounced in there. Hang tight with me. We're uh, 1130 Eastern, 1030 Central, if you can hear me there. But we have a fantastic connection. We know that. So let's go ahead and uh, get rolling now as it is time for today's tough question. And it's brought to you by our friends at Apex Apparel. tell you more about them. Today's tough question is now.
0: Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of offthehooksports.com.
1: All righty, we dive right into it. And it is, would you rather have a top five class or would you rather have four top five classes or zero top 10 classes, but a generational quarterback? In other words, would you rather be what Georgia has been lately in recruiting Now, I think Carson Beck isn't a generational quarterback, but he's very, very good. So let's kind of turn it back a little bit and uh, think about uh, what they have had. And we're comparing it to Tennessee, who I believe has a generational quarterback. So that's today's tough question brought to you by Apex Apparel Group. If you own a business, you can design brand and market your way. Unique products to promote your business your apexapparelgroup.com your apexapparelgroup.com all 865-919-3001. 865-919-3001. all right what say you cuz you came up with this concept and this take and a- as good of an idea as it is you're absolutely wrong Caleb but go ahead and throw your opinion out there and let's uh let's see if anybody agrees with with you which they won't
2: with Josh Hypel as head coach I'll take the generational quarterback and zero top 10 classes on the roster over four top five classes without the generational quarterback because of Josh Heupel. If Kirby Smart is head coach, I'll take the four top cl- five classes. But with Josh Heupel as coach, I want the generational quarterback and zero top 10 classes. I'll take that over four top five classes any day of the week because I think Josh Heupel's quarterback approach – His system is so heavily dependent on the quarterback that they really can make up for so many other things. Now, I was a bigger... It's funny. As I say this, I was a bigger Joe Milton defender than you were this past year because I do think there were a lot of other internal problems with Tennessee that kind of held Joe Milton back. However, that was still an indictment against Joe Milton because he wasn't good enough to make up for those deficiencies. I think given Josh Heupel's system, Nico Iamaliava, you could put... This th- this could be like when Peyton Manning had Pierre Garcon and Austin Collie as his top two receivers. Remember that year, Dave? In 2010? Barely, maybe-
1: barely. My goodness. You're like an encyclopedia.
2: Well, Peyton should have won MVP that year over Tom Brady. That was your Tom Brady threw 36 touchdowns and four interceptions, and Peyton Manning had like 32 and 16 interceptions. Peyton still should have won MVP. Austin Collie was his go-to receiver. Come on, guys. Okay. Now, I think Tennessee's offense is basically like that. You could have the caliber. At the relative to the college level of an Austin Collie as your go to receiver. And if you have Nico Iamaliava at quarterback, you can still be great. The caliber of Donald Brown as your running back, which Peyton Manning had as his running back that year. And you can still be great. Okay. Now it's up on the board
1: now. So we want you to vote right now. So you can go ahead, if you would like to, Caleb, and read the question as I wrote it out on our YouTube page. And we always will get your comments on our chat board. You certainly know that so go ahead and give me a read on the question as, as I wrote it out and then we'll have some more interaction and I'll tell you why you're you're right most of the time but you're wrong this time
2: okay so the question <laughs> would you rather have a generational QB in parentheses Nico or more talent in parentheses for top five signing classes and everybody all the voters you voters are wrong y'all just don't know ball sorry <laughs> Because um, uh, right now, uh, give me the – right now, Upgrade the roster is winning. Well,
1: it's early. It's early. So let's see where the voting goes. Um, here's why I would rather have the top uh, – four top five classes. Because I'm going to have at least a pretty good quarterback, right? I'm going to get at least a four-star quarterback, right? I mean, I'm not going to have – you're talking about extremes. Stetson Bennett transferred away from Georgia, played for a while somewhere else, and came back. So that's basically the scenario we're talking about. But I had a ton of talent around him. But if you have that guy, then I think Tennessee would, would find a way, even though the quarterback is so important. I want the guys are going to be disruptors. I want the James Pierce's of the world defensively. Maybe I'm old school, but that's what I would, I would prefer. And Alabama did it with a lot of bad quarterbacks as well. Click that like button. Take one second, click that like button. We appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed uh, to this point, we uh, would really like for you to do so. Big day on the show yesterday, uh, George McIntyre and a bunch of recruiting news let us off um all right wh- do i get a zach merklinger
2: or jake merklinger get- you jake you, merklinger. you keep confusing zach jake- mettenberger I- and jake dave loves the less yes. miles era guys he is a big less miles fan
1: yeah i'm and- not i'm not <laughs> ja- uh okay jake merklinger i don't know why i call him zach jake merklinger
2: you want you- less miles do- to coach tennessee it's okay
1: no i don't do i at least get a jake merklinger
2: uh yes, you can at least get a Jake Marklinger.
1: Uh, um, okay then. Then I've got to go with the talent all around. Um, Dylan, give me a hard time on the message for Titans legend Zach Mettenberger. Um, I I, I I've, I've got to go. That with reminder, Dylan. I, I've got to go with talent all around. Um. Uh, Dylan also says uh, on our message board, Drew Locke wasn't a generational talent, and he looked like Texas's Vince Young at Mizzou under hype. What do you say about that, Caleb Calhoun?
2: Actually, that's a very good. Let me address that. It is okay. true. One of the one of the arguments that you guys can bolster is that hypal quarterbacks. It doesn't matter if they're generational. They're because of hypal system. They come so close to hitting the ceiling anyway. That like the, the ceiling of what's possible, humanly possible for a quarterback, that it doesn't really matter. I want to tell you guys, I disagree. I actually think there is another level that a quarterback and Hypel system could hit beyond what Hinden Hooker and Drew Lockett. I think there is another level that, is, that, and I know that's crazy, Dave. I know that's insane because we all saw what Hinden Hooker did two years ago. But am I crazy to say that there's another level of quarterback can hit in hypo's system that hasn't ha- yet because he hasn't had a generational quarterback? I think there is. I think you could see a quarterback complete 75% of his passes, though for 60 touchdowns and two interceptions at one point in hypo's system.
1: I think you had a limited quarterback last year, which bolsters your point. I'm I'm all for the discussion, so I'm actually supporting your point. I think you were limited at quarterback last year. Levi, who uh, I certainly appreciate you posting this, Caleb blasted Milton all year and changed his tune a little at the end of the year. Didn't he didn't blast not, Milton no, all year. No, See, I was going to say that was me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think you might've gotten us confused. I did grow a beard for a, a moment and my hair is changing color. So maybe you thought I was Caleb. I was the one who didn't think Joe Milton could play from the beginning. And I think it proved out to be true. And nobody else was telling you that in August. Okay. I, I, I'm going to bring you every bit of honesty and truth, and then when I tell you that Nico is going to be very special, you know that I mean that. I'm not just throwing that out there for the sake of.
0: I, uh, leg,
1: so when you talk generational quarterback again to bolster your point, you talk about a Peyton Manning, you talk about a Mike Vick at Virginia Tech, guys that really elevate the program to a championship or championship contending level. Those to me are generational-type quarterbacks. So my question is, do you get the impact of the recruiting after the generational quarterback? Because if so, you might actually make me change my tune. Hmm.
2: I wasn't even thinking about that with the question, but uh yeah, we'll throw that in there. We'll throw that in there. All right, Caleb. And- okay, now Caleb's right. So this is,
1: now Caleb's I mean, right. You remember, you remember this,
2: You uh, remember this? when Johnny Manziel was at Texas A&M, didn't Kevin Sumlin, like, land, like, four straight top five classes after that? Now he didn't do anything with it, but he did recruit well after that because of the Johnny Manziel effect at Texas A&M for years. I, d- and- I don't
1: know that it was four, but it was, like, way over expectations. It was two or three. So I'll roll with you on that. Um, I guess, sort of. I don't want to admit it but I think Caleb's changed my mind. Me, but what happens
2: to uh, a total random question? Think about this big. What if what happens to Mike Shula's career at Alabama? If Tim Tebow goes to Alabama, you don't think he has a residue effect of helping Mike Shula get Nick Saban style recruiting classes in the future. Yep. And Shula stays.
1: That's fair. And uh, Dylan actually is on top of it uh, because I actually accidentally stole your point because I hadn't scrolled down far enough. General Nealon, Says I want a 97 defense all the time. A walk-on quarterback can win with that. But now he had a
2: generational quarterback and didn't win it that year. Yeah.
1: Maybe he means 98. So let's look at 98. Now I don't think T Martin was a schlub at all. Okay. But I do think that the the offensive coaches cut back on the playbook severely, significantly, just I can't even describe it. I've talked to David Cutcliffe about it. Now, T. Martin was frustrated because he wasn't allowed to do more during that year. Understandably so. He thought he could do more. But regardless of it was the quarterback or it was the coaches, they were dialed back a little bit and won. Same thing this year. You dial back the offense a little bit, but Tennessee's not as talented on defense. Have we come basically to the resolution that you can win both ways?
2: Oh yeah, you can absolutely win both ways. Um, okay. I just think with ask, Josh
1: Heupel. Let me as ask coach. you this. Let me ask you this. Can Josh Heupel win both ways?
2: No. Josh Heupel needs the the generational quarterback. He absolutely because the system is built around the generational quarterback. Tennessee's not going to win without the generational quarterback. Josh Heupel needs that generational quarterback to win. And because guys, you guys can bring up Drew Locke and Hendon Hooker. I I'm sorry, Dave. Am I crazy? I don't consider Hendon Hooker generational. Do you? I consider no, him good.
1: No, no, no. Very, very good. Uh, Casey Clawson, Eric Ainge. Very good.
2: Right. Very good and played in the perfect system. We've never seen Josh Hypo with a generational quarterback, have we? Ever. To coach with. And and this is... And, and for those who don't think there's different layers to this, there are. Okay, just to give you an example, Spurrier was a great offensive mind. But Danny Warfel did take Florida to a level that Shane Matthews couldn't take him to, didn't he? There was a difference between the two.
1: Yeah, and Danny Werfel in some ways was a generational quarterback for Spurrier's offense. Yeah. I I know he's not a generational talent. Is that a reach? Wasn't it just because he was willing to get hit? I mean, wasn't that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, he had had generational gall to be willing to get hit that much.
2: Also, remember this. The most talented quarterback Spurrier ever had was Rex Grossman. And remember the level that Florida's offense hit in 2001. That they it wasn't even it went beyond what Danny Warville ever did at Florida that year. And had Tennessee not brought on the Prowler package that you brought up, Rex Grossman was winning the Heisman that year easily. So I mean, it's that wasn't that game wasn't Grossman's fault. That game was totally Spurrier's fault. And and so yeah, I think that generational quarter. I think there's a level that we haven't seen hit yet with a generational quarterback. And I'm thinking. Joe Brady, Joe Burrow, Gus Malzahn, Cam Newton, Josh Hypo, Nico. That's a good one. Cam Newton. Auburn didn't have top 10 talent at all on that team. They were a below that's, average SEC team.
1: That's your best argument, is Cam Newton, right? I yeah. Mean, Cam that's, Newton, yeah, that's Gus Malzahn. His generational. If you've ever stood next to Cam Newton, you realize how generational he was because that guy is way bigger in person than you would ever imagine. I mean, he's like a defensive end in person.
2: And how uh, mediocre that- was that Auburn team outside of him?
1: Sure.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE.
1: Hit that like button. Uh, If you haven't subscribed, uh, we want you to do that. But be sure and hit that like button for me right now if you can. It helps bring more people in the program. We love the conversation and continued growth. It's been fantastic. You guys are awesome. Don't forget to support our sponsors. That's why we're here. The thing that I was looking at uh, with with Nico, and I was thinking wide receivers that could help. And we kind of know that brew McCoy has to be back for the receiver group to be any better than average. Don't we, is that fair or is that too strong?
2: I don't know that. I'll just be honest with you.
1: Okay. I <laughs> uh, wrote a column. It's going up on off sports.com of what to expect out of Tennessee's wide receivers. So they're led by uh, Mike Matthews who won the Polynesian bowl MVP. And the other receivers are Caleb. If you want to pull them up, they've got got three receiver class, the transfer from Tulane and the other young man.
2: And then uh, Braylon Staley.
1: Braylon Staley. And then
2: Braylon Staley Staley out of South Carolina.
1: Right. So you got three coming in. I'm going to predict that none of them do much of anything. That they don't have as good of a first season as Squirrel White had at Tennessee. And I'm – I'm going to tell you why, but first, Caleb, give me your thoughts on that. Am I absolutely right or wrong? And then I'm going to tell you why it's not a bad thing. Go ahead.
2: No, I think you are – if everybody's healthy, I think I agree with you. And I wondered if I agreed with you for a while, but I think you're right. And I think you're right because I think Josh Heupel – you're right because of a reason. I'm wrong, which is I thought I, I was I was out on Dante Thornton middle of the season, but I think healthy Dante Thornton and healthy Brew McCoy occupy those two whiteout spots, and I think Squirrel White is back in at the slot. And Hypel doesn't like to go that deep at receiver, and what he does prioritize is I'm going to be honest, guys. When it comes to guys he chose, Hypel prioritizes seniority. Have you noticed that, Dave? He prefers oh, big, big time, guys.
1: and, and uh, big time. That's part of the culture thing. Could it hurt Tennessee? Are there times where they play a B player instead of a B plus player because of seniority? Yes, I believe that. And typically, I I absolutely hate that. I think the best kid deserves to play. But sometimes in football, it is 51%, 49%. It's that close. So you're going to go with the older guy. And I get it. And that's part of the reason they have the culture they do that is so, so strong. They weren't going to throw Joe Milton under the bus, like I suggested they should, in October. Um, so yes, I think seniority plays a big factor. I don't think any of these three guys have an impact this year uh, bigger than squirrel white. And I'm going to, and I'm going to tell you why that's not a bad thing. Uh, Brazil has, he's just played one year. So he's got four years to play three. The other two guys are freshmen. You can bring them along. I like Brazzle in a lot of ways, better than the one-year wonder that Brew McCoy was supposed to be. And it turns out Brew McCoy has been a great leader and an all-around good player. But I like the idea of a guy that you see flashes on in the college level that has multiple years to play, as Brazil does. But I don't expect him to step in. Even though the three are going to participate in spring practice, I do not expect him to uh, step in and have a huge impact year one uh, at all. Your thoughts brought to you by Rick Terry Jewelry Design, Caleb. They want to be your jeweler looking for affordable game day jewelry. How about the fire opals, a Tennessee tradition? Rick Terry Jewelry.com. Rick Terry Support our sponsors. Caleb, am I wrong? Does it matter if these guys have a huge impact in year number one?
2: No. No, as a matter of fact, what's going to happen is I'll just tell you guys what's going to happen because I've been Dave knows how crazily high I've been on Tennessee 2024 with Nico. Wait a second. So speaking of his state of mind, brought to you by The Hemp House, the premier
1: hemp dispensary online with a wide variety, great selection, and strict standards to ensure you only receive the best in CBD or Delta products. Hemp House chat with two T's. Hemp House chat with two T's.com. Use the promo code HOOK for 10% off. You were crazily high on what? The Dave impulse, was insinuating was on Use the promo code Hooked.
2: <laughs> what? You're crazy <laughs> on what? Okay. I'm crazy high on Tennessee this year. Here's what's going to happen. Nico's going to set record after record after record this year. And you know what you're going to see after that, Dave? Squirrel White, Dante Thornton, and uh Brew McCoy are the beneficiaries of those records. All three of them will go into the NFL next year. And then Nico will be back for 2025. And then you'll see Mike Matthews, Chris Brazzle. And Braylon Staley. And you know what's going to happen? Nico will set record after record after record. And Mike Matthews, and, and then at least Chris Brazzle will go to the NFL after that because he'll be eligible. Because I'm, I am I think that Nico is just... Tennessee is going to have... over. Y'all ready for this? Tennessee, in one of the next two years, will have two 1,000-yard receivers in a season. I don't, that has never happened. I don't think. They will have it.
1: They're having, I don't think. We've got to do some checking on that, apparently. So you're you're, you're crazy high on these guys. Uh, I am too. And I think the the sign with also the kid from Stanford, I think you're talking about guys that have more eligibility and heard. Excuse me, I meant to say heard um, from LSU. I think you're guys, you have guys that have more eligibility than just the one-year fix. I think this is huge for Tennessee, and I think it's a very positive sign for the program. Listen, I watched, I watched a lot of the tape, so I've seen Staley, Razzle, and Matthews. There's no doubt to me that they are four and five star products, uh, prospects, but that doesn't mean you have to have an impact in year one. Now, let's look at, let's compare it to Herd for a second, okay? And work with me, guys, here on the message board, and and just tell me if this makes sense, okay? To me, and I, I did a radio show in Nashville yesterday, and. If you play, if you start one game at LSU, and then you play in every game, you are, as a true freshman, you are a five-star transfer, correct? I mean, in the if SEC, playing,
2: if you playing start one game
1: and you play in every game like Hurd did, you're a five-star transfer, right? Yes,
2: yes, yes. As a true fair. freshman.
1: I don't know that a five star transfer could step in and play right away because Tennessee's receivers have got to understand the offense in depth to keep Nico from looking stupid because it's all about the reads. You read the safety. If you read it wrong, Nico throws a ball that looks like a Milton, and suddenly you're like, Man, this is Nico guy overrated. No, he might have thrown it to the right spot, but the receiver didn't make the right break. This is not the year to break in a bunch of young wide receivers.
2: No, it's funny because you and I talked about this. It's easy relative to other systems across the country. The offense is very easy for a quarterback to pick up, but it's much harder for a receiver to pick up. It's kind of like the Patriots back in the day. Remember with Tom Brady, when Tom Brady, all the receivers had option routes with the Charlie Weiss offense. And it's and that's why you saw Chad Johnson went there and just could not for the life of him may, find his way into the rotation because he couldn't figure out how to do the how how to read the secondary. So no, I totally agree. And this isn't new either. Um, I just want to go back through history real quick. Dave, ninety-five Joey Kent, a thousand-yard receiver. Ninety-six Joey Kent, a thousand-yard receiver. Ninety-seven Marcus. Na-
1: I knew you were going. to I love it. I love it. That's where I was going. Go, go, go! Don't let me stop you. Me oh, oh stop you.
2: well, I to do, you. I don't want to steal it from you. No, 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 no. Go. Okay. So I was, 96- I was just
1: going to ask you who is going to be Nico's Joey Kent.
2: Okay. Well, I,
1: who's going, going to with- look a lot better because the quarterback can get drafted higher in the NFL. Sorry. I don't oh. know what you're
2: going or not. Well, so we're, well, it is somewhat because after Joey Kent, what happens? Marcus Nash comes in and sets the uh, single season record for receiving yards. Now this is where seniority was a big thing. I w- I did I randomly watched the '97 Tennessee Texas Tech game because it was on YouTube the other day and I saw it, and I didn't know this, but you 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 may have. Okay, it was very clear in the '97 season that Peerless Price was the better receiver than Marcus Nash. Very clear, if you I think to a lot of coaches, and you probably knew that watching then, right? That Peerless Price was better than Marcus Nash as a talent. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. um, yep. yeah, but Peyton Manning was in Marcus Nash's wedding. They were very close, um, and. They were very close. You bring it up for chemistry purposes. They made Marcus Nash the number one receiver over Peerless Price, even though Peerless Price was the better receiver.
1: Um, Also a bigger target, and Peerless Price was more of a deep threat, so maybe Nash gets a few more opportunities. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that Peerless got off to a bit of a slow start in 98 because he suffered an injury in spring practice. And everybody. No, nah, Peerless
2: him. balled out. And Peerless balled out immediately in 98 with T. Martin. I mean, he was the only
1: thing. Okay. H- well, he had two touchdowns
2: is- in the Syracuse game. And you would think the guy that wrote a book about it would
1: would know that. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, as a matter of fact, he
2: was the only guy that T. Martin could complete a pass to his first like five games. Of the game. <laughs> That's
1: true. Maybe I need to go back and read my own book. You can purchase no- it below in discounted prices, autographed copies from players as well. Uh, relive the greatest uh, season in Tennessee football with behind-the-scenes stories about the 1998 National Championship team. Uh, click below for Celebrate 98, the untold stories behind the Tennessee Balls 1998 National Championship, available in soft and hard copies, uh, copies. Hit the like and subscribe button if you hadn't done that to this point. Elias just said uh, 2021, Ohio State had two receivers go for over a 1,000 yards. Then I want to talk tight ends. I didn't say it's
2: never been done in college football. I asked if it had been done in Tennessee history. I don't think it has. I don't think it has. They've only had 2,000-yard rushers once, and that was 4 You covered that team with Gerald Riggs and Cedric Houston. Yes,
1: it's true. And I don't uh, think it's the two most talented running backs they had. I think it just worked out that way, to be real honest with you. And they were very equal. They were very equal. I don't think one was a lot better than the other.
2: Well, they also had... Some pretty good offensive linemen that year with Scott Wells and uh Albert Toyana and Michael Munoz and Aaron Sears and you know, a few pretty talented guys.
1: Speaking of the big toe, Toena, we'll get to a uh a Polynesian pipeline that uh Tennessee might have. And uh hasn't happened in Tennessee. Um no, T did not go twenty for twenty in the Syracuse game, but he was. Quite no, T a-
2: went nine of twenty six in the Syracuse game.
1: Yes, he was not. <laughs> he was not that good. All right, it is time for four downs, and it's brought to you by our great friends, and we're going to talk to them about putting a hot tub in Neyland Stadium at some point. Uh, at Dynasty Pools and Spas, right there in Athens, their showroom is there. Let's get to four downs because uh, got something I want to kick around. Four downs brought to you by. Dynasty Pools and Spas. Uh, Let's talk about these uh, wide receivers and what kind of impact they can have now.
0: Four Downs brought to you by Dynasty Spas, the most comfortable spas made in the United States of America, right here in East Tennessee. Drop in for the all-new showroom in Athens. Dynasty
2: Spas, perfect for all four seasons. Four downs presented by Off the Hook Sports.
1: All right, here we go. Uh, Coop, what should people do if they want to be a part of the program? They should hop in the hot tub with you. Cooper Mays here. Hit like and subscribe. Thank you. First down, Coop?
3: Coop here. First down.
1: You got it. All right, let me ask you this question as we talk wide receivers. What do you expect out of the trio? Give me a number of yards. Put the over under. At a number of yards from the combined three wide receivers, if you can, Caleb. Uh,
2: the three that we, the three incoming for next year.
1: Yes, sir. That I'm gonna be, go about all three. All three expected to be mid-termers.
2: I think they'll. I think they'll all be backups. So I'm gonna go about 700 yards because you're gonna see some mop-up duty for all of them. So they'll total about 700. You'll probably see Braylon Staley pull like the scroll white in 2022 and get like four to five hundred in mop-up time. So I'm gonna go 700. Because I'm gonna s i am going to I see like three thousand from the starting three receivers.
1: <laughs> uh it's a good number. I was gonna go seven fifty, so I guess I'll take the over. What down Cooper? Cooper Mays here. Second down. All righty. Um, who will be the most productive of the three? Don't we have to go Brazil since he has played?
2: It's gonna be Mike Matthews. Overall, long term, it's gonna be Mike Matthews. I, I talked about this year.
1: I just meant this year. Oh,
2: this year. No, it's gonna be Braylon Staley. They rotate the slot more than they rotate the wide outs. So it's going to be great with Staley. That's true. So,
1: But you do have Dante Thornton ahead of him. So. But Dante
2: Thornton's going to line up at whiteout more, I think, with Scroll White in the slot. We'll, okay, we'll see. That,
1: that very well could happen. What down, Coop? Tennessee center Cooper Mays here. Third down. Okay, will Josh Heupel protect Nico this season by the receivers that he plays? And I remind you that Four Downs is brought to you by Dynasty Pools and Spas. Imagine having the best spas made right here in the U.S. in your backyard. Well, they're in Athens. The showroom is open. Complete support with any purchase. You get the spa cover chemicals to keep your spa bubbling at its best. You can go to DynastyPoolsAndSpas.com, DynastyPoolsAndSpas.com to order those uh, chemicals as well. But the showroom in Athens is fantastic. Mention off the hook. Sports get $500. That's $500 off of your spa. is going to protect Nico with the receivers he plays, and he certainly should. I think Nico is an elite talent in terms of from the head up. I think he's a confident young man, whether or not, not cocky, whether or not he's a lawyer, a doctor, whatever. He's the Alec Baldwin from that one uh, movie a long time ago. You ask me if I'm God? I am God. So he has that c- type of confidence. So I don't think that you have to protect him, but I think you will because if Brazzle or somebody else out there runs the wrong route, it can make Nico look bad. And And he still is a young player and you don't want his confidence dinged at all. I'm not worried about it, but it's worth considering.
2: Yeah. But protecting is relative. Cause I don't think this would be any different. No matter who the quarterback is. Heupel needs the receivers to run the right routes. And so, I, 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 yeah, I think he will, but I don't think it's because he's Nico. I think he'd do the same with any quarterback. Look, I think Hypel's going to turn Nico loose more than he's ever turned any quarterback loose before. He turned him loose in the bowl game. This wasn't like, oh, let's keep the harness on the guy. Like, I mean, he was just like, go all in. And I, I think he's going to do that next year. I don't think you're going to see a y'all, – y'all need to stop with this. He's young. He's building. He's got to develop. No, no. They're turning Nico loose. I'm the one who told you that last August and you were like, I don't know. I like this Joe Milton. I said, no, I didn't. I said, save him for this year while he gets help, while he gets to the right size. But once he's ready to go, you turn him loose and now he's ready to go.
1: Okay. Just answer me this question, Batman. It, did they win another game if Nico's the starter from October one on?
2: No, no, okay. I told you right. no.
1: Okay, we're not going to get sidelined. Then I, I think they do. All SEC Center Cooper Mays here, fourth down. I think I know the answer to this question. Would you be worried at all if? uh Tennessee's receivers don't have an impact this year. I think I know the answer. It's no Wait,
2: All of the receivers are just these newcomers. (laughs) The incoming guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All of them. Rue McCoy McCoy transfers. Squirrel White decides to uh, take up, uh, I I don't know, uh, anthropology and get out of football. No, the three incoming guys. Uh, Caleb keeping me honest. All
2: right. No, I would not be worried.
1: Okay, anybody remember Tosh.0, oh, which Caleb referenced, is this racist? Uh, we're going to talk about ra- race and football next. Uh, hang with <laughs> us for two minutes. Hopefully we don't get shut down here. <laughs> what, is it called? what is it called, Caleb, when you get canceled? Canceled, yeah. Hopefully we don't get canceled here in two minutes. Hit the like and subscribe button, but I'm going to tell you why a, a certain, certain ethnicity has been great for Tennessee and will continue to be. Stay tuned, two minutes off the Oak sports.
0: Sun, sand, and saltwater the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK vision correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Have you seen the latest Tristar Hats Co. product?
1: Tristar Hats Co.? What's that?
0: You know, those really cool hats, shirts, tumblers, and even license plates with three stars like the official Tennessee flag and stripes like the American flag. Pretty patriotic if you ask me.
1: Ah, gotcha. Seen those. Those are cool. Where can I get them?
0: Simple. Tristarhatsco.com. And if you order now, there's 10% on any order of $50 or more. Plus, use the promo code HOOKED.
1: With the promo code HOOKED, you get 10% off. That's HOOKED.
0: And don't forget free shipping with any order over $50. Stock up at tristarhatsco.com. That's tristarhatsco.com. Com. There are plenty of wannabes out there, so make sure you go to tristarhatsco.com for the best quality and customer service.
1: Will do, and I'll be sure to use the promo code Hook. that's HOOKED when I do to save an additional 10% off tristarhatsco.com.
2: TriStarHatsCo Co. is a trademark of Tristar Hats Co. LLC. Any use without express written consent is prohibited.
1: What's up, everybody? This is Jacob Warren asking you to like, subscribe, and share. Dave needs this. You know what I love about that rejoin is that Jacob doesn't say Tennessee tied in because he's a former Vol. That sounds weird. A VFL. Tom Foz. Let's go talking Polynesian pipeline.
0: The Dave Hooker Show, represented by Banks and Jones, Tennessee's trial attorney. Play to win. BanksJones.com. Um, who's this guy? Hello, Wizard! The Dave Hooker Show. Who? A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave
1: Hooker. All righty, here we go. Hopefully, not to get canceled. That's our goal. Welcome back to the program. Does Tennessee have a Polynesian pipeline? First, is it okay? For us to say Polynesian pipeline, alliteration aside, we're singling out an ethnicity. Is that okay? We wouldn't say uh, a Caucasian channel. Uh, Can we say Polynesian pipeline?
2: I think. Be look. I think. I think it's okay, and I'm saying this as a white guy. I'm trying to be friend. I'm trying to be friendly here. I think it's okay <laughs> because okay put it this way it's kind of it, it it's almost like you know you would think of like it it it's it's almost its own culture its own state similar to like okay there's a georgia pipeline or there's a florida pipeline like if you say there's an african-american pipeline what well okay doesn't every like what or there's a caucasian pipeline there's not like it's not unique to a state or a region or area but i mean there is a Polynesian connection out, out in the West, you know what I mean? From Utah to California to Hawaii. So I would say in that way, I, I think it's fair to say a Polynesian pipeline because we're not doing it. I think there is a little more of a like specific connection here. And I'm, I'm trying to be as PC as possible saying this. I, I really well, am. I, I, I'll tell you what, I, what we don't want to
1: tread into is the whole white guy thing where you say, Oh, look at that guy! Uh, He's he's white and he's an athlete, so he's a real hustler. He's a gym rat. Um, his dad was a coach. His dad's dad.
2: Deceptively quick. That's my favorite. Deceptively quick.
1: Deceptively quick. We're trying to avoid that. I think it's okay because we're not talking about genetics in terms of athletes. We're we're talking about the culture that is Polynesian culture, and I've visited with a recruiting analyst, who Greg Biggins, who uh, actually is part Polynesian. And he says, if he can say it, I feel like I can say it, that there is a different feel with Polynesians and the way they approach things in general, but especially sports. Very competitive, very prideful. So we're using it as a compliment. But why does this come up now, Caleb? How many Polynesians are we talking about? Of course, the big one is.
0: Oh, Ava. Yeah. Male Ava.
1: But there are more. So, uh, including one that came through the Polynesian pipeline over the weekend. So, give us a rundown of all the Polynesians that Tennessee has because they're pretty darn
2: good. So, Tennessee right now has three Nico Iamaleava, who is a generational quarterback. Keenan Peely, whose return at linebacker was absolutely critical for us to believe that Tennessee could be better this year. And Jackson Moy, the defensive lineman who just transferred from Stanford. On top of that, Nico Imaliava was MVP of the Polynesian Bowl last year. And this year, although Mike Matthews and Jordan Ross are not Polynesian, they played in the Polynesian Bowl. And they were the two best players in the Polynesian Bowl. Now... I would assume there were Polynesian connections and ties to a bowl named after Pol- the po- called the Polynesian bull. So you don't think CN Tennessee play- commit standout also has an impact as a pipeline long term?
1: Fair. Can, can, can I tell you a story? Can I go Uncle Dave for just a second here? Um, sure. Do you remember you remember Albert Toina? You mentioned him, right? I okay. do. OK, so do you remember at the end of I believe the Vanderbilt game, when he was accused of spitting at a cameraman, do you remember that?
2: Yes, and former kind of threw him under the bus. I do remember that part too. Fulmer didn't
1: former didn't kind of throw him under the bus? Okay, so it's Sunday night. I get a phone call. I'm covering recruiting. I'm on the clock, but um, they needed me to to drive to, I think it was Sweetwater. I can't remember. I know it was a Marriott property. Because the Tawinas were very upset. And so it's about 7, 8 o'clock at night. I drive out there, wherever they were staying, wherever they found a good deal in a hotel. And they had a conference room set aside. A conference room. They had video. Now, this is before everybody had a camera on their cell phone. But they actually had... That's how much pride they took in their son plane, Where they they viewed, they recorded their son coming off the field, and he clearly spat upon the ground. He did not spit at anybody, and the cameraman was a bona fide liar, and I called him out about it. But the thing I remember most about that interaction with a Polynesian family is that they cried. They cried about their son's reputation and how they would never do such a thing and how bad it could be hurt. Philip Fulmer with the team sliding off the rails faster than you could imagine, completely threw him off the bus or under the bus and off the team. But I could cite JT Mapu. I could cite uh, Jesse Mahalona, but I'm going to choose to cite Tawina because that family and that meeting impacted me to finish the story. And then I'd like to get your thoughts. I called philip that night because it was fair for him to respond to the story and i said well philip they've got tape up at it he goes what's on it i said well he didn't spit at the cameraman he spit on the floor and the response was oh expletive so <laughs> that is what happened they cared that much that they called the new sentinel and said come out and please talk to us they probably would have driven to my house but they had the screen up and they were able to play it just they wanted to know that their son wasn't a jack wagon. And if you spit at somebody, you're a jack wagon. Caleb that to me. Like Charles Barkley. <laughs> yeah. Caleb, I think he's apologized, but Caleb that still stands out to me in that pride. And that's the guys you want on your team. By the way, Henry Toho uh gets gets a mention, but I know that's a, a touchy subject with some. Um, I just think there's more pride there. And I I, I just um uh, Maybe that's because they're a smaller group of people. I don't know, um, where you don't have as much variance. But your thoughts? I think you want as well, many Polynesians as you can have.
2: I think there's any. I think there's pride with any. Um, there, it's not an immigrant community because I mean, the, you know, American Samoa is very native to Hawaii, so yes. it, it's not. But there, I think there are. There is always a lot of pride in in certain ethnic communities. Heck, even Europeans. Look, Tennessee is getting a um, can we call it a Eastern European pipeline going in basketball right now. And you True. don't think there's a, you you guys watch NBA? There's a lot of Eastern European pride between those a lot of those Serbians that come over. Um, they take a lot of pride. One, they love that a lot of the NBA players think that they're soft, and they're like, "We're not scared of." There's nothing America could throw at us that's scarier than where we came from. So, <laughs> and they'll they'll tell you that up front. The Tony Ku coaches and the Nikola Jokic's of the world. And so, I think any ethnic group that is kind of tight knit. Identified with the region specifically is going to take a lot of pride in certain things, and this is just me judging from the outside. I mean, I, I have to be fair here, um, you know. And but, like anything, it's a case by case basis. I mean, you know, some of them can be ultra sheltered and fall in love with a uh, fake online girlfriend. Um, <laughs> that's
1: true. Uh, say, yeah. Now, the the uh, Henry To'o To'o comes up on the message board um, and Travis said something that he, he thinks he might've been a spy. So let's, let's break down that for a second. That's uh, brought not my, true. Okay, let's break that down. Brought to you by sports treasures carrying over 5 million sports treasures and so much more following Facebook for the best sports memorabilia, daily updates, facebook.com go to sports treasures, TN Follow them for the updates. Lots of all stuff. It's awesome. I think that of all the players that left Jeremy Pruitt's whatever he called it, I don't even want to call it a team. But during that transition, I think a lot of the players just up and said, I'm outie. I was told Henry To'o To'o had the most difficult time with it, that he realized pragmatically that it was the right thing to do because he didn't know Josh Heupel was going to be as great as he is. But that he he thought that was the right thing to do. And honestly, Caleb, who could blame him? We didn't know Josh Hypel would be a good coach when he got hired. Neither did Henry.
2: No, no, nobody did. And also, Henry was recruited as a linebacker to play in a system that was designed for him by Jeremy Banks. Josh Hypel, we if you're a defensive player, you want to stay in that a similar system, right? You're gonna look at Alabama or Georgia in that in that regard. So I'm not about to sit there and knock um Henry Toa Toa for what he did. He was thinking about his future and I, I can't, I can't blame him for doing what he did and transferring elsewhere. It, it I, I think that's a, you got to think about players thinking about their future. I will say this, Dave, I thought uh, in a similar way, it's funny because um, we, we have him on the show regularly, but I, I I will defend his brother. I thought Cade Mays got a lot of unfair flack when he committed to Georgia in 2017 and many Tennessee fans were very upset with him after that. But guys, Butch Jones' program was unraveling, and he was a five-star. What was, what would you have done? You're thinking about your future, right? And so and I think to this day, Kay Mays has been treated unfairly for that decision, honestly, and I've been a big defender of him. And I, I'm the same with Henry Tooto for the other way, going to Alabama.
1: Yeah, I think there was a little pushback on, on Cooper, too. I think people had questions about Cooper because of that, and his... His recruitment now, Travis uh, says 100% true. Uh, Bammer for life. He wouldn't have come to Tennessee just for a year to be a spy under Jeremy Pruitt, would he?
2: He's not, not a Northern California kid of Polynesian descent. Is like, I'm such an Alabama fan that I'm gonna risk my future to go spy on a team. By the way, guys. Why did they need to spy on Tennessee? You think Nick Saban needed spies on Tennessee during that time? Y'all realize how bad Tennessee was. Well, let me. But but to
1: uh, Travis's point, does it undermine our Polynesian pipeline argument at all, even a yeah. shred that he would transfer? No. Because we're talking about the loyalty and the dedication to the craft.
2: Just a little. I'll bit, tell you what. A little bit. No. I'll tell you what undermines I'll tell you what undermines I'll tell you what undermines things is maybe going hard at Henry Toto the way that many people in Knoxville have Henry Toto comes a big time NFL star look there is now it's getting it's changing but for a long time the Polynesian stars in the NFL have kind of been the arbiter over uh, uh, you know the advice givers to up and coming Polynesians you know they what their their word is taken seriously Marcus Mariota's word was taken seriously by a lot of polynesian quarterbacks trying to come up and you don't want to necessarily i'll tell you this tennessee fans what could kill the pipeline is if you guys keep going at henry Toe-toe, because you don't want him speaking ill of tennessee to other potential polynesian players from northern california
1: okay let me ask and, you this um dylan says i'll be honest i loved henry while he was here but him leaving in Alabama and having a whole social media about it being business killed it for me to me, he was trying to clarify that, and I, I, I appreciate your perspective, Dylan. I do. Please hit that like button, guys, the new people that have jumped on board. Um, Travis is just joking, so he says, calm down, Caleb. But what is Henry Tohoto supposed to play? It's, it's supposed to say, it's not like he's saying, I'm taking my talents to Tuscaloosa.
2: He didn't that, call a press conference and, like, yeah, make a big deal out of it. Yeah, like... he's
1: just a social media push.
2: Yeah. He very, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I don't understand what people thought he should do. The program was on fire at that moment at Tennessee. And if anybody was betrayed, it's many of the players who were betrayed by committing to a guy who got fired. I mean, you're well, guys, and, committing,
1: t- and and not committing to a guy that got fired. Good coaches get fired guys that try hard, get fired, but committing to a guy that was an absolute cheater, that would commit penalties that would unravel his program. That ain't Henry's fault. No, not at all. And so he I had to think in that- the world, did Jeremy Pruitt even fool these people? I've, I've talked to him and I, I just absolutely don't understand how he recruited even as well as he did.
2: Well, he connects with players, you know, when Mark Rick got fired in 2015, how players-
1: Yeah, Jeremy Banks loved him. That's
2: why he- yeah, to
1: punch in a hooker
2: when Rick got fired in 2015. All the defense players were begging Kirby Smart to keep Jeremy Pruitt on board, and it's funny because Jeremy Pruitt gets really mad. He's there, there are certain coaches, and you probably know coaches like this, Dave, right? That they can be verbally abusive to their players, but the players still love them like fathers almost. And yes. I think Jeremy Pruitt has that where, like, he can. I, I think he, yeah. look, I'll say it, I don't think he's the brightest in the bulb in the box, but I think Ed Orgeron has that. I've seen Ed Orsron. He's verbally abusive in practice, isn't he? And um, um yeah, well, verbally, I, th- I think there are three different
1: levels. I think there's a, the 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 softer, loving coach. I think there's the guy in the middle who is tough. Okay, the difference is I can I can call you a jack wagon. The rule is I can call you I can say you're acting like a jack wagon, but I can't call you a jack wagon. Like, or a worse word. Yeah. That's kind of the rule. And you don't, I don't, I don't think personally you should use GD or the F word around young kids. That's just me personally. But again, that get, that's not necessarily what's pragmatic. That's just, that's just my thoughts. Um, so I think Orgeron and Pruitt were somewhere in the middle. They knew what they could say and how to lose a player if they said the wrong thing.
2: But here's the thing if Orgeron or Pruitt said it, the player would respond. If Butch Jones said it, the player would consider it verbal abuse because they didn't respect Butch Jones. Is that is that fair to say?
1: Right, because of things he did behind the scenes, and he was that third level that would call you a jack wagon, say you are a, I, you know, I'm using jack wagon, but I'm talking yeah, about other yeah. words. He would, he would call people names. That is the big difference. Yeah, and no, I can see then, that, yeah. Again, you know, Caleb, it's like when when you and I are working together. If you say, "Darn it, Dave," I, th- I thought you were going to get that to me. There, it's uh, a diff- It's way different than saying, oh, "Darn it, Dave," why are you acting so stupid? You know, I mean, there's just a way to phrase things that sound less attacking. And you're in the moment of a two-hour practice. It doesn't need to carry on into the locker room. And I think Pruitt and let's take Chavis for instance, better example. Chavis was fantastic at it. And I thought Chavis and Pruitt in retrospect are pretty similar. Uh, not great at interpersonal communications, need talent, probably not great managers uh, of a program, but great managers of one side of the ball. I thought they were very similar. I don't know if you've ever thought of that comparison, but I certainly have. Uh, Chad I Morgan. think
2: Pruitt. Oh, go ahead. I think Pruitt actually was a more versatile defensive coach than John Chavis. John Chavis. X's and O's? Uh, X's and O's, yeah. Oh, I agree. I, J- John Chavis learned, okay, let's put it, What? Let's. John Chavis learned about the zone blitz before anybody else did and kind of had the talent to do it in the mid-90s. And he stayed with that with the 4-3 and kind of re- The thing that Chavis realized, I, I think I'll give him credit, he realized that if ends are fast, you don't really ever have to go to the 3-4 at that point if they have enough speed. Um, and he said and he lived with the zone blitz before anybody else, but he didn't really change over 10 years after that at all. Whereas I think three Pruitt's three-four, Pruitt comes from the Saban, which Pruitt's three-four Saban's three-four guys, it's actually, even though it's a three-four, it's rooted in the cover two schemes of the 80s, the Tampa 2. Actually, funny enough, even though there's a lot of man and edge rush that goes on because that's what Saban was a disciple was, it's much more complex um than the defense you you cover Tennessee's defenses, Dave. They were not that complex. It was
1: no blitz I'm, a different guy you. here
2: or blitz a different guy there. Uh
1: is. no. I'm I'm completely with you on the X's and O's part. Um you know, uh, John Chavis, I didn't particularly get along. I don't say this because I've got an axe to grind. I don't I, I think he had to have talent, period. In the discussion. He had to have a whole lot of talent. Um, and if he had that, yes, he was good. If he didn't, um, and I agree with what you said about, uh, the zone blitz scheme, but I don't think he was ahead of the curve on a lot of things, uh, schematically, uh, go 24 seven had, uh, an article that uh, I enjoyed and I noticed it, uh, yesterday and we were going to try to bring it up, but we didn't quite have time. It's by Br- Brad Crawford. It's college football's seven likeliest coaches to win first national championship next season. They are ranked. Do you want to run through them um, first, and then I'll just give you a that could happen, or a
0: that's crazy,
1: or if it's absolutely unbelievably stupid, I will say You're
3: like that is total bullshit.
1: All right. So do you want to start them off? And then I'll give you my thoughts and we'll get your thoughts also on the message board. Don't write the BS word on the message board, but if you want to say just Peyton then we know who you're talking about, we'll know that that's not They're like that
3: is total.
1: bullshit. <laughs> okay. So what do you got, Caleb? Uh, number one is a guy that's Wait, do you want to go from number one or number seven? Number seven. The first one. Sorry.
2: Number seven. Let's have fun with this one. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, what you got?
3: like, that is total bullsh**.
1: Sorry, program's falling apart. It's back to being bad. And I haven't gone off on that tangent. And if you're an Alabama fan on here, then you're probably thinking to yourself, he is just a Tennessee homer, but that program is falling apart. And the guy has basically had four good years. Sorry, that's never going to happen. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, and
2: it's... I agree, and it's not even Kalen DeBoer's fault. It's the stupid Boosters' fault because they actually think – and by the way, we had some commenters last week, Dave, on our show, and we talked about Alabama. Boosters' illusional. People are still saying, no, they'll commit to play for Alabama. You guys don't understand. They just love Alabama so much that they're going to commit to Alabama. The Alabama culture really, really stupidly believes that. They think people commit to, to programs. All right. They don't.
1: Oh, that's hot. All
2: right, who's number six? Number six – Uh. Y'all get ready. I know y'all are all going to come at me, but I didn't put him on here. Brian Kelly at LSU, number six.
1: Um, Hey, now. I think he has a great opportunity to win a national championship at LSU. I don't know that it's this year, but I think he does.
2: I think he has an amazing opportunity. He just had a Heisman winner at quarterback, and John Adams and I both agree that the better quarterback is the guy who was backing him up. And so... And he may have been in that
1: situation where he plays one guy like Tennessee did with Milton to protect the younger guy. And Nick Saban, this just in, retired in what was once the SEC West. So you don't have to worry about your major rival nearly as much as you used to. So who's next?
2: And if Brian Kelly finds a middle linebacker, watch out. That's the only reason LSU didn't win a national title this year was they couldn't find a middle linebacker. That's Um, a little strong, but let's go ahead and go to the next
1: (laughs) national title. Number five. How many games? Yeah. Did
2: they lose? three. All because they didn't have a middle yeah. line. Their defense was horrible because they put Harold. They did what Tennessee did with Leonard Little in '97. They put Harold Perkins at middle linebacker when he's an edge rusher because yes. they couldn't have. They couldn't find one. Okay. What if Tennessee has Al Wilson at middle linebacker and and Leonard Little at edge rusher in '97? Just honestly, do they win? They beat Florida, right? Yes. Okay, I'll get.
1: But that's not apples and apples or oranges and oranges. All right, Caleb, go. Okay,
2: so number five, Mike Norvell, Florida State. They're like, that is total bullshit.
1: No chance. I know we're all excited about the fact that he went undefeated and that sort of thing. And in the ACC, um, he'll be able to get to the college football playoff. And I believe that uh, he may have some success there, but I I don't think when he gets to elite level uh, teams that he's going to be able to beat them. So I don't think that he can win. A national championship? No.
2: All right, number four. What did
1: you be say. say?
2: What did you? What oh, did you you're mean? right. I should have said it. No, you're right. Um, I agree. He was going with the transfer portal again. Um, I look, guys. I think Florida State would have gotten. People can bring up the Georgia game that they didn't care to play in it. That's fine, Dave. You and I both know. If Florida, I don't care if they had Jordan Travis and they got into the playoff fully healthy and were ready to play. They're still getting wrecked by Alabama or Michigan, aren't they?
1: Yes, and here's uh, a fantastic take by Colton. Uh, it says Caleb always has one insane take a day. That's
2: hot. Is it genius? <laughs> Is it a genius? Task?
1: All right, who's next? Who's next? It's like when
2: it's like it's like that genius <laughs> play call Les Miles had every game that got him a crazy win. Caleb joined the club. I was crazy for saying played Nico against Florida, but where? Did All right, get? number that four. Dave's boy here, number four. And it's, I'm not going to lie, it would be really fun if this happened, but I got a pretty strong feeling. But I'll let Dave go first. Uh, Joey Swampwater, Joey Freshwater, Lane Kiffin at Old oh, yes. Swamp water
1: Swampwater. Hey, now, I think he's got a
2: shot. I think no, he's got a no. shot. No. I need Peyton because I don't believe one that I think Lane Kevin is doing exactly what Jimbo Fisher is doing. And even if he's a better coach and he is, he's losing the locker room. There's no way Ole Miss is going to have the chemistry that's necessary to win a national title with what they're doing this year.
1: I agree three years out of four, but I think he could come together. I really believe this, especially with no Saban. It could come together one year. So if he's at, let me ask you this. If he's at Ole Miss another 10 years, does it, which he won't be, but does he win a national title?
2: No, I don't yes. think so. Yes. All right. Okay. Now I'll give you this. I will give you this. There is sometimes, and, and you know this, Dave, as a Cowboy fan, but the Pistons of the 82, so there is sometimes where you are a team of a bunch of bad boys that have all these problems and you kind of bond over the fact that you have a thousand problems and it makes you good for yeah. a year and then it unravels after, right?
1: Yep. Yep. And I, I think, I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Or their, his best friend, one of his best friends at Orgeron kind of did the same thing at LSU, right?
2: Yeah, they well, did they bond over problems or were they just that loaded with talent? No, uh, no, the, the Miami, Miami bonded over having problems in the late 80s, early 90s, and so did Florida State, Free
1: Shoes University. All right, so That's what coach true. is going right. to be the next to win a their first national title? Uh, by All right. the, way, the uh, I think it's 3,500 to one that Tennessee wins the national title this year. Is that what I saw on the message board? All right, who's next?
2: Who is next? And we're not talking about
1: this year necessarily. We're just talking about the next coach to win a national title. Will they do win so eventually? Win the first.
2: Dan La- Dan Lanning at Oregon. You suck, yeah, jackass. That's not happening. Okay, Sorry. I'm kind of with you. I'm just um, gonna go. I'm
1: just gonna go. I think they had a great year. They got lucky with uh, bonex but who had a lot to prove. I just don't. I'm having trouble seeing a non-SEC or not big non-Big Ten team, guys. Am I being just biased out there? Well, Oregon is
2: a Big Ten team. Time?
1: Well, oh, that's right. Okay, um, <laughs> but they're
2: not the power football Midwest sort of teams. You know what I mean? There's I didn't, Well, I mean, yeah, but a lot the outside of Ohio, I never believed in the upper Midwest power football because they're usually slow. Like that's why I never thought Michigan would actually get over the hump because that Michigan always struck me as a very slow team. Now, they, they got me this year, but okay, outside of Michigan, hey, Wisconsin has always been slow. They can't find receivers to save their life. And you can play power football, but if you don't have athletes on the outside, it's useless, isn't it?
1: Okay, and but on the it. flip side, how's Oregon going to get the Aiden
2: Hutchinsons of the world? How are I they think, going well, to get no. those?
1: Nike money. No, no, no. They can't do that. Nike is also in business with 40 other schools. They can't give. Because you brought up the Nike money recently, and I wanted to do this for a different segment. I forgot about it. They can't give Oregon too much money, because Ohio State's a Nike school. So they, they, yeah, they would. Yeah, I get so the,
2: yeah, that's fair. We always
1: think they could write a blank check, right? And just well, Phil work Knight himself out, could work write a it personal. out with the children in Asia. They can figure it out that that are slave labor. But I don't know that that's the case. After talking, well, to wait, some
2: can't can't Phil Knight just write a personal check though? Not Nike company, but Phil Knight himself as a, just an individual booster. Be like, yeah, I'll throw I'll throw some money.
1: You're still, it's a public university. You're going to know where it came from. And if I'm Tennessee, I'm not going to be real or particularly a big 10 team. I'm not going to be happy if I'm a Nike school.
2: Well, I'll give what I will give you is this. A school is never successful. If they have one major booster, you need about like five. Don't you Dave? You need like about five billionaires to be funneling your money. Right. Yeah. One is no matter how rich they are. It's not enough. Yeah. Um, okay. So I actually agree with you with Dan Lanning, though. Also, Dan Lanning got outcoached by Kalen DeBoer twice this year. Oregon had the better team than Washington and lost both times because Kalen DeBoer outcoached Dan Lanning. So there's that. And he fights for clicks too much. He he tries to go viral way too much on social media. Do you ever notice that? And so, kind of goofy. I've not. He did that. He tweeted that video of himself staying at Oregon last week before he was even offered the job at Alabama and did this whole, like, promo video of him staying. And Earlier this year, he's like Colorado's fighting for clicks, we're fighting for wins. But you said that and then promoted it, so you were fighting for clicks in that moment. Remember that? Yeah.
1: Okay. So let's let's move past. I want to see where Josh okay, Heupel is on this list because I haven't read it on purpose. All right. Well, so we got to move be... to number.
2: We got to move to number two. Steve Sarkeesian at Texas.
1: Are you telling me that Josh Hypo might be number one? Don't 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 give it away. Don't give it away. Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. Hey now. He will win a national championship at Texas.
2: Nope. Nope, he won't. I don't think he's smart enough as a coach.
1: And I think it's for the same reason as Elias said about my Lane Kiffin question. The condition of him being there for 10 years predicates a lot of success. I think that Sarkeesian has already had some success, so he has credibility. They'll continue to grow that program. I think at some point over the next 10 years, he'll win a national championship at Texas.
2: Wrong. He won't. But okay. 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 But I
1: can't wait to see who's number one. Is Josh Heupel actually number one?
2: No, number one is somebody who will never win a national championship, too. And it is Ryan Day at Ohio State. Josh Heupel is not on the list. But we'll get to Josh Heupel. Let's start with Ryan Day at Ohio State.
1: Uh, No, let's go to how Josh Heupel is not on this list because. They're like, that is total bullshit. I'm honestly 110% surprised.
2: He's not the only one. Lincoln but, Riley was left off the list, too, and so was James Franklin. But Lincoln Riley, Josh Hypel, and James Franklin were all left off the list.
1: Wow. I'm stunned. I just assumed he would be there. When you started getting deeper, I, listen, I put these lists together before,
2: these type of lists, and maybe it was an accident. Is that? A, do you think that's an accident? No, he purposely mentioned Josh Heupel. He openly said uh, three coaches who just missed the cut were Lincoln Riley, James Franklin, and Josh Heupel.
1: Well, James Franklin shouldn't have been on there, but I think both Lincoln Riley and Josh Heupel should be. Now, Lincoln Riley, I don't believe, for the same reason I said with Dan Laney in Oregon, I don't believe he'll be able to win a national championship because he's not going to have the big uh, nasties uh, up front on defense. But I will. I'm I'm really stunned that they're that neither are on the list. I'm I'm a hundred percent stunned. This is not for show.
2: So this is a, I think they're falling into the trap of the stereotype of one. Josh Heupel and Lincoln Riley aren't the same. Lincoln Riley doesn't care about defense at all. Josh Heupel built his program around his offense, but does one does actually try to, he tries to build a defense that complements it. If that makes sense.
1: I totally agree. They're not the same. I didn't mean to lump them together because they're just up tempo. Okay. I didn't, I didn't want to do that, but there, There is the similarity in that they're young coaches and they, listen, if you produced a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, aren't you
2: an elite coach? Lincoln Riley's produced three. Baker Mayfield, mm. Kyler Murray, and Caleb Wood. No, because I think this is why they don't think he'll win it. Basically what they're seeing with Lincoln Riley, here's what they're seeing. If he hasn't won it yet, he's not going to win it. Because he's constantly had Heisman quarterbacks and constantly his defense cost him in the playoff. And so because of that, They're saying he's never going to win it. Now, that's unfair, and they're applying that to Josh Heupel because most people see Josh Heupel as just another Lincoln Riley. And
1: Do you think association by offense is the problem?
2: Yes, I do. I think association by offense. They think that if Lincoln Riley can't win it, Josh Heupel can't win it because Josh Heupel has the same defensive issues. That's a stupid way to look at it, I'll be honest, because you and I both know, Dave, that hype most of the defensive woes were more about personnel than his system. Okay. Because personnel Tennessee got wrecked in the portal from defense. That's where they took their biggest hits. So I think that that's where this biggest mistake comes. And also look, let's, let's be fair. Lincoln Riley didn't have the same Lincoln Riley's always had top five offenses. Josh Heupel has every year, except this past year, this offense this past year, I think has more people out on Hypel than We realize you and I know it was the quarterback issue, but I think people are thinking that the national experts, I think, think Josh Heupel has been figured out.
1: Wow. Okay. Um, Let's talk about the one major hurdle. I don't believe that to be the case. As a matter of fact, I could make a strong argument that he did a better coaching job last year than the year before, because I think he overcame a slightly inept quarterback. Um, Colton says, if Tennessee gets manhandled by Georgia again, I can't picture Heupel winning an natty or even SEC championship game unless Georgia starts, uh, just starts being Bama and falls apart at that point. I don't see Heupel being around. Uh, I just, dis- I disagree. I think that, um, much like, um, I think that Tennessee can, can beat Georgia with their offense and the right quarterback. In, in the right spot. Now, they're going to have to prove that some of these offensive linemen they're bringing in and some of these defensive linemen particularly are are going to be beast, uh, difference makers. But, you know, Alabama ran the football at Georgia last year and beat them that way. So don't think that just because half of Georgia seems to play for the Philadelphia Eagles that they're constantly elite up front. I didn't think they were elite last year. I thought they were very good, but Alabama ran at them. And uh, Tennessee, I think, is going to have times maybe this year where they can run at them, and then we all know what happens if you walk a safety up into the box.
2: And on offense, Georgia has Mike Bobo as offensive coordinator. So that Who would alone you take in help a
1: chess match, Bobo or Hypel?
2: <laughs> It'd be a checkmate in like seven minutes. <laughs> for Hypo. um, Yeah, I am taking... I, I think that one, Tennessee's not going to have to play Georgia every year anymore, guys. You're forgetting Georgia's not going to be a permanent fixture on Tennessee's schedule. There's no... Well, they're
1: going to they're gonna have to go through them at some point.
2: But it's possible that, you know, what if Tennessee gets to avoid Georgia and then Georgia slips up and loses to LSU or somebody like that, and then Tennessee's not having to play them for the SEC title? That can happen. And... I think that – but, no, they'll probably have to go through Georgia most of the times. Guys, what happened to Tennessee – remember, Tennessee two years ago with Georgia, with Hendon Hooker, the problem was they 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 didn't have a wideout who was fast enough to beat Georgia's received cornerbacks one-on-one. Kirby Smart figured out, I can lock these guys down one-on-one with my elite cornerbacks because they're fast enough to hang with them down the field. Bruce McCoy and Cedric Tillman, Dave, we love them, but they're not. neither one of them is, is going to burn you with speed. And now this is where Mike Matthews comes into play. Mike Matthews is a rare speedster who is also a whiteout who also can win those physical one-on-one matchups. I mean, we're talking, I don't want to say he's this guy. I'm not trying to say, but his profile is a Randy Moss profile because what was so unique about Randy Moss was he was a whiteout who also could burn you with speed. Couldn't
1: he? Uh, Listen, I thought my Patrick, Mahomes was bad. Are you comparing Mike Matthews to Randy Moss, the greatest receiver s- who's ever played the game?
2: I'm seeing a wide out who can win physical one-on-one matchups on the outside, but also beat you with speed. Kelly Washington before he got hurt. Kelly Washington could burn you with speed, couldn't he?
1: Okay, I like that comparison better because Kelly Washington was only about 6'2", maybe right around there, I think. And, and he uh, would
2: torch you, wouldn't he? Randy you Moss
1: know. was about 6'5". I mean, I think a jump ball that Randy Moss can pull in separates him from actually Jay Rice, who I thought was the best receiver of
2: all time. I still would take out. Randy Moss over Jerry Rice. So I'm still with you. I would take Jerry Moss over Randy Moss over Jerry Rice. Um, yeah. he, uh, he got, he made Dante Culpepper look good. <laughs> okay. So. All right. Well, yeah. I, 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 I'm
1: again, stunned that hypo's not on the list. We didn't do this for show. I didn't read the list and I just wanted to, get caleb to break it down i wanted to see where hypo was ranked turns out he wasn't uh ranked at all um the university of florida is in a whole whole big monster monster mess stay tuned and then our special guest of vfl joining us in just a bit but man florida's in a big mess Portions of the program brought to you by our friends at Dynasty Pools and Spas. Again, everything with a spa purchase. You get everything cover, chemicals, mention off the hook sports, get $500 off. That's $500 off. Dynasty Pools and Spas in Athens, and they deliver. You could have a spa like by this weekend. Two minutes. The Gators are chomping at the bit with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Booker. Got
2: cataracts. We can fix that.
0: Never miss another moment. With a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor and Hong at cctis.com.
1: hi i'm rick terry and we at rick terry jewelry designs pride ourselves in the highest quality craftsmanship from a family-owned business here in knoxville for over 35 years at rick terry jewelry designs we also take pride in being an affordable option for all your game day accessories especially those fire opals at rick terry jewelry designs we want to be your jeweler every day and especially on game day go vols hi
3: mike davis here with city heating and air reminding you to always dare to compare
0: We believe every day is a good day to be thirsty. With free samples on draft and lots of flavors to choose from, Tennessee Cider Company prepares a hard cider that's easy to enjoy. Some say it's the signature cider of the South. Others say it's the cure to your craving. They all say you'll savor every sip. The area of Gatlinburg has so much to offer, and so does Tennessee Cider Company. Add us to your list for shopping and fun experiences. You'll be glad you made the trip. Find our cidery in the Mountain Mall on the Gatlinburg Parkway. Sip Smart, Sip the Good Stuff, Sip Tennessee Cider Company. Thirsty yet? Doors open at 10 a.m. The Dave Hooker Show, represented by Banks and Jones, Tennessee's trial attorney. Play to win BanksJones.com. You're listening to the Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off The internet is full of pictures of each and every one of you. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off The Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Is said nothing you people can't do? Also available on offthehooksports.com.
1: All right, we got some breaking news we're going to dive into instead of the Florida situation. Uh, Le, uh, Lavoie, by the way, saying, talking about the to Toho situation, said, Look, fans are fans for life of a given mm-hmm. school. When you're starting to see fans of individual players at the pro sports level, when you have a connection to the balls, fans aren't going to support uh, going to the enemy. Talking about uh, Henry Toho Uh I s- totally understand that. I totally get that. I'm a little bit different. Um, but we can discuss that another day. But great point, and thanks for the comments on Twitter. Sometimes I, I forget that we have comments on Twitter, so we're going to do a better job of getting into those. Thank you, little boy. We appreciate that. You can comment on Twitter or our YouTube uh, page. We certainly appreciate that, or on Facebook as well. So your comments are welcome. They will be attended to. But what do we got, Caleb? We got a little bit of uh, breaking news here as Tennessee's roster didn't just get stronger, but it at least stayed intact to some degree. What can you tell me?
2: Yeah. So um, I want to actually credit Rocky top insider for doing uh, their journalistic work on this. They reached out to a UT spokesperson who confirmed that both Javante Spragans and Elijah Simmons are back with Tennessee football for the start of winter workouts, which makes it pretty clear that even though not, neither one of them like officially announced a return for their super senior seasons it is a hundred percent that they're coming back for their super senior seasons. Now it's, it's, it's confirmed because of that move. So Spragans and Simmons back. We expected both. Spragans was kind of up in the air that Spragans is a huge confirmation for Tennessee though. They need that for their offensive line. So that's the real story. Okay. Why? Javante Spragans is, I would argue the best run blocking guard in the sec. And I know some people find me to be crazy when I say that, but if you guys watched Tennessee two years ago, their offense was able to go because of the downfield blocking that Jovante Spragans did on the run plays, particularly. Last year, it wasn't as effective because without Jerome Carvin, Ollie Lane was just, just struggled severely. And so did Andre Carrick. Um, but, and, and you need both guards. But Spragans was still reliable. Spragans next to Cooper Mays is a huge, huge boost to Tennessee's run game. They need the run game to make this offense go. And when you got those two guys, now it's now they just have to find a left guard. Assuming everybody stays healthy, they just need to find a left guard. We thought they were going to have to replace. Dave, you talked about it. You said, remember the start of 2023? We talked about how 2024 offensive line is a big concern. Well, all of a sudden, offensive line is no longer a concern for Tennessee, assuming everybody stays healthy.
1: It's arguably a strength now, isn't it?
2: yeah depth is a question but
1: Travis stole it from me Travis and I think too much alike the offensive line and I I thought this if they got Cooper back because I thought the dominoes like Spragans would fall into place that Tennessee's offensive line would go from being a question mark to a strength and it has done that so it's exactly what I was gonna say um now Elijah Simmons has announced his his return not announced he was
2: just confirmed at workouts
1: Right. Just been confirmed at workouts, um, which is the, the, these are not great surprises. But and by the way, we've got a speaking of surprise, a surprise BFL that will join us here in just about seven minutes. So but um, listen, the one player on this roster that can go from OK to special is named Elijah Simmons. He has an opportunity with an incredible offseason to be the Jalen Hyatt of defense. The guy that goes from pretty good to, uh Oh, this guy's special. I don't know if he's not angry enough. I don't know if he needed a worse upbringing. I don't know what the case is, but the guy has got a joke, but a coach once told me he said the best linebackers were beating his children. So, well, that sounds awful. But you gotta get angry, man. You gotta do something. Patches I mean, a hula. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Patches a hula.
0: Right.
1: It's exactly. I mean, my goodness gracious. He has all the talent in the world. He's I've been told he's almost as physically gifted as Darnell Wright, who could do backflips at 330 pounds.
2: So basically what you're saying is they should pay his mom to show up at games with some random boyfriend that'll make Elijah Simmons really, really mad. <laughs> oh, it's a dodgeball reference. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or pay – I don't know if he has a girlfriend. I don't know if he has a girlfriend. Pay his girlfriend to show up to games with, like, some other boyfriend flirting with her and him see that on the field so then he can get really angry. I feel and... like Here's my
1: issue with Simmons. I feel like he's okay with being average. Like, he's okay with being the 330-pound anchor in the middle of the defensive front. When, in reality, you should want to rip up field and affect the passing game as well. Not just be the anchor,
2: right? He is okay with doing what he's supposed to do. But not doing what he could do. No, I feel you. I, you know, thinking about this. Now they're not the same type of player at all, even though they both play defensive tackle. I mean, Elijah Simmons isn't he the type of guy that could use a John Chavis as a head coach or as a defensive coordinator? Because you told me that Albert Hainsworth showed up a really nice guy, and they had to like teach him to be mean, right? They had to make him angry, didn't they?
1: Ah, uh, well, that was and... Je- that was Jeff Fisher that did that at the NFL level. Uh, I would argue, yes, but he had enough ability at the college level he could have been totally pleasant. He could have been stoned as a
2: yeah, but he had anger issues at the college level, I, so they had to like sure
1: he did. He had anger issues, period. So, they didn't instill anger issues in him. Uh, oh,
2: I thought he was like a super nice guy and they instilled anger and they they got him angry and then he had trouble turning it off when he got angry. That basically. was
1: he told me that was the that was a Fisher. That was the NFL. Now he had anger issues as he gave the whole South Carolina student section the one finger salute when he left the field when Tennessee beat the Gamecocks back in the day. That was hilarious with Bud Ford pulling in his jersey. And you've probably heard at the time, I've told this before, with the pole incident where he was going to beat Will try to beat Will Offenhusel up with a pole, and he got his jersey ripped off, stopping in the middle of practice, uh, stopping him from getting to Offenhusel, got kicked out of practice, came back, and Philip Former finally got him to calm down. Um, that's a lot. it's a mouthful. But somebody needs to do that with Elijah Simmons. I mean somebody.
2: Just some well, okay, here's the question though. If you ride him hard, is he the type that you can get anger or will he go away and cry? You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of like can can you ride him enough to where like can you trigger something in Elijah to to get him to go off? Well, I mean, can you get the Bobby Bush shame moment? Like, think of everybody who's been mean to you, Elijah. Think of everybody who's been mean to you.
1: Well, that's Rodney gone over the years. Right? I mean, that's up to him. Isn't it?
2: Yeah, he's got to find a way to trigger Elijah. He does. You're right. How he's different like, is man. this
1: defensive front if he's a rip and tear guy? If he's closer to Vince Wilfork than he is Taria Smalls. Here's a blast from the past.
2: <laughs> I, mean, I mean, how
1: different is it? Seriously.
2: Think about this. We already talked about how elite Tennessee's addressers are imagine if they have an anchor in the middle who has to command like two or three guys blocking him with James Pierce on the outside. Yeah. I mean, that is, we're talking about an amazing, amazing defensive lineman at that point. And, and, and look, maybe going against Spragans will help Spragans blocks mean doesn't he? And so, you know, it's, um, I mean, maybe those one-on-one matchups will help. You need to talk to this Get Cooper Mace to find a way to trigger Elijah Simmons. Um, I'm, sure
1: he's be uh, yeah. I'm sure he's trying in practice. I'm sure he's trying. And by the way, this isn't. Hmm? No, go ahead. Finish.
2: This is, and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You know, uh, I can tell you this. Every, think the NBA for a minute, big players down low, they check you and they punk you down low and they try to test you and you got to be able to handle it. And I mean, that's why Blake Griffin never became the superstar. He could have been because of that. So yeah, no, you, you got to trigger Elijah Simmons. I don't know how you're going to trigger him on the defensive line, but you got to figure out a way to bring the nasty streak out of him because his potential is through the roof. And again, because I haven't seen it yet, Javante Spragans is the bigger returnee to this point of the two.
1: Agreed. But the greatest potential I'm telling you is not even close. It is Elijah Simmons. I was the first to tell you that Darnell Wright could be special uh i was the first to tell you that i didn't think joe milton was quite ready uh, or or would be able to fill out tennessee's offense and i was also the uh i think the first to tell you that dalton connects the best score since bernard king and we're going to be joined by a special guest to talk about that in exactly 30 seconds a vfl joins the program we love that 30 seconds the show represented by banks and jones Banks and Jones? Well, it's because they're Tennessee's trial attorney. You can play to win with Banks and Jones because they'll go to trial. You've heard of other lawyers. They say they'll go to trial and fight for you. They won't. They just want to settle. That's the easiest way out. Well, that's not Banks and Jones led by T. Scott Jones. They won't settle. They'll go to trial for you. Tennessee's trial attorney. They play to win. Truly, Tennessee's trial attorney when it comes to criminal defense or personal injury. Why settle? It's Banks and Jones. T. Scott Jones. Banksandjones.com. All right, let's bring in Isaiah Victor now, who joins us. He's a little off center. we there. We'll bring him to the left, and he's, he's right there. I love this guy, Isaiah Victor. You've seen him on the Sports Source with John Pennington, and he's just a great overall dude. Isaiah, how are you, sir? Doing good, doing good. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, I appreciate you coming on. So I I wanted to get your thoughts because I made this crazy statement that I think Dalton Connect is the best scorer since a guy named uh, Bernard King. And um, I I threw it at you, and I thought, man, he's going to be so mad at me because I'm throwing Chris Lofton under the bus. I'm throwing all these other guys under the bus. And Isaiah says, you might be right. Uh, Isaiah, tell me why Dalton Connect may be the best scorer since uh, Bernard King.
3: Well, you get just going by the eye test, um, and then, of course, it's super recent, so we're watching him right now. Um, but going by the eye test, I mean, I, I don't see anything that he can't do on the offensive end, and obviously he's been piling up the points the last few weeks uh but I, I i probably would pump the brakes when you first said it i was like yeah you're right and then i was like well hold up hold up hold <laughs> up yeah uh so because I, I love it that he's doing it on the number five team in the nation i think that's big but when you're talking about scoring it's just pure ability and i i think that shouldn't have anything to do with the te- with what the team does so if you throw that away um and purely want to talk about scoring I still think he's headed in that direction. And by the end of the year, I wouldn't be surprised if we could crown him that I just, you know, it's just so it's the middle of the year and we have seen those lags from him for whatever reason. I know he had an ankle injury and, you know, so the last five or six games before these three, you know, he was kind of quiet for his sake. Uh, And and we were still winning. So it was no uh, big deal, but, um, I want to see the whole picture here. Just He only gets one year with us, unfortunately, but I, I do want to see him at least finish that year
1: out and see how it winds up. Uh, Isaiah, let me ask you this real quick. What's your Twitter handle? I'm not on Twitter, man. Oh, that's why I couldn't find you. Okay, go ahead, Caleb. Uh, you asked the next question. You're, you're doing a great job.
2: Isaiah, before I go in, what do you think of our, of the, of a, uh, I want to give Smokey Mountain Red and Travis, our message board guys, a couple of uh shout outs because they came up with it, but we're using it now. What do you think of Cream Sickle Mamba for Don Connect's uh, name, nickname? <laughs>
3: I like that. I like that. Hey, I- I'm telling you, I'm on the bandwagon, man. Uh, he- he's been amazing since the first time I saw him. Uh, th- those are big words, but he has that attack mentality like the Mamba. So I-
1: I- I'm all for it, man. Here, so- here's my, I'm sorry, Caleb. Go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, I just wanted to do that for a joke. But what I really wanted to ask was that um, how much does it help Dalton that I had been very – I basically called him out in December and said Jonas Adu needs to get tougher and play tougher under the basket. And he's answered the call ever since then. And it, you know you know what it's like. You were a guy under the basket. You all had a score like Vincent Yarbrough. But guys like you and C.J. Black and Ron Slay had to take pressure off Yarbrough if he was going to be that scorer, right? under the basket has jonas adu answered the call to you
3: absolutely he's he's been a, a wonderful and i saw the potential last year he didn't get to play a whole lot i i know we was i knew we'd miss olivier uh this year i understand he probably got a better deal than michigan State. has uh michigan hats off to him but uh it was it was pivotal that um adu make the strides that he has made this year and all our bigs do. I mean, if you go back to the history of coach Barnes, uh, I mean, he does an excellent job with, with big men. So yeah, he's, he's super. And we need to just keep him out of foul trouble and we'll be good to go. The, th-
1: the thing that I think is most exciting about Tennessee's basketball team that you couldn't say last year, I don't believe you could is that there is a player who can go manufacture points and Isaiah of Tennessee is in any sort of scoring drought, and they have been under Rick Barnes uh, fairly frequently, I think you can say, hey, you four guys, come stand over here with me, and Dalton Connect makes something happen. H- how often does that happen in basketball, where you just give it to one guy and say, the offense isn't working, we need you to manufacture points in an iso?
3: Uh, Not often because there's not a whole lot of players that could actually do that. It's funny because I I did my first sports show of the year uh, right before the Mississippi State game. Well, Connect he hadn't been scoring very much, but I knew in the beginning of the year he did. So I knew what he was capable of. And that day they asked me what was the biggest surprise or biggest plus. And I said it was having a guy like Connect to where if the offense is not uh, going well, we're not scoring. We have those droughts that everybody knows about. Um, that we could just give it to him, and then he can manufacture the points. So, And then from there, it looks like we're doing it every week. So that, that's an anomaly to have a guy like that. Uh, I also said that you can throw the game plan away uh, once someone scores 30, 40 points on you. Uh, that's just, you know, you can throw the game plan away after that. So it's, it's a very good thing to have a player like that. I do think the better he gets with getting everybody else involved, um, while he's playing point guard, basically, um, I, I think that'll make us a, a much better team. And then we'll be more, uh, we'll probably do it a lot more often, put him at that spot more often if that's the case.
1: Let, let me jump in here for a second, Caleb, if I can with a follow. And that is have you ever been around a player where a coach said, hey, go generate some points on your own, go do this, go get this done? Has, has that happened to you before?
3: Well, it, it happens all the time, but they don't necessarily do it like that. Um, they just call the plays out that you, you know, that, that get you the ball in the right spots. That's what they're doing. And, and you notice with connect is the high pick and roll that we're doing a lot when he when gets in the game because you can't push him to the right, you can't push him to the left. It's kind of hard to trap you it since it's in the middle of the court. And then if he gets going downhill, it, it goes crazy. The only – the last player I remember to, to be that way, especially in college basketball, was Shabuqa Holtzlaw. It was uh, give him a ball at the end of the game, and it was some play where they just spread their arms out like that, and it's, it just means everybody get out the way and let him go to score. It's <laughs> <so.
1: laughs> pretty awesome. Good reference. Uh
2: By the way, Isaiah, I uh, just wanted to bring up uh, – there's a bit of a connection. Uh, I'm very familiar with Hopkinsville, Kentucky, because uh, when I was at Ridgeway in Memphis in 2004, Ridgeway played Hopkinsville in a game in football and just got draxed 27 to nothing. But <laughs> Oh, wow.
3: Okay, yeah. We, we've been um, down in football for a while, so it's that, good to hear about the glory days there,
1: man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, High, for the record, Powell High School got beat by a guy named Penny. <laughs> and our Panthers had the lead at halftime, and Penny decided that he'd rather win.
2: Right. Penny Hardaway? Yes. Um, oh, wow, when he was at Treadwell? Interesting. I did not know that. He, yes, he played. bounced um, the
1: Panthers uh, from the playoffs, and it was a sad drive home for the Powell Panthers.
3: <laughs> yeah, so, I'm sure it made you feel better to see him go on and be an NBA Hall of Famer than it's like, oh,
2: okay, well, there you go. That, that's you, true. That <laughs> right. It was like 92,
1: um, so I've, I've moved on.
2: Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, well, and actually, Isaiah was teammates with the next great player out of Memphis uh, that followed that with Tony Harris. Um, Isaiah, I wanted to ask you um, on a little. It's funny. You came in right as we were talking football a little bit about Elijah Simmons. But you guys, I'm sure, dealt with this in basketball, too, particularly you as a post player under the basket. I know that part of being a great post player is you kind of got to be a little bit mean because people kind of want to punk you down low. Right. And yeah, absolutely. And it's the same with defensive linemen in football. If someone's really nice but really skilled, how can you find that trigger to get them to be mean? Because I feel like, for instance, that's what's held Blake Griffin back his whole career is that he can't yeah. get mean enough.
3: Yeah, that, that's tough, man. That's a, that's more of a coaching question. But I'll tell you what point guards used to do. Um, I had a point guard, Corey Alexander. He wound up. He played at Virginia for a long time. and he. Um, I played with him in the, the G League. What is the G League now? Um, and he played for the Hornets for a little bit, but um, he would just come in and pick a fight with me every day at practice. So he said, man, and he told me at the end of the year, he said, I noticed that, you know, sometimes you were kind of cruising, is what they call it when you're cruising, uh, you know, kind of being soft or not being as physical. So with me, he knew all he had to do was challenge me or talk a little trash. and, And the next thing you know, I'd get mean and, so there's something that triggers everybody's mean streak, I believe. Um, but it's just up to the coach or maybe a good point guard to to find out what that is.
1: Well, did did you – there was one guy that I thought you had that maybe wasn't as mean as he could have been or aggressive. And that was Vincent Yarbrough, who I love and I love his game. But there were times I thought he could have been more aggressive. Am I on point there or am I off base?
3: Uh, Yarbrough, he did a lot of work, man. He's one of the best scorers in the history, too. I believe the year after I left, he averaged over twenty points a game in the SEC. So it's, it'd be hard for me to say that, but I, I can understand how it come across that way because he's such a smooth player. It looks even when he's scoring twenty, it looks like he's not even playing hard. So I, I think some people just have that demeanor. Uh, I know he wanted it, and I never really saw him. When I think of toughness, I think of guarding your man one-on-one because that's like probably the hardest thing to do on a basketball court, especially uh, well, post or perimeter, either way, just stand in front of your man. Uh, and I, I don't remember him getting beat a whole lot, so I, I couldn't put that on, but I, I do know how the uh, that could be viewed that way just because of how smooth and how effortless he made the game look.
1: Um. Great stuff. Isaiah will look for you on the uh the Sports Source, which is on W A T E at Knoxville on uh Sundays, at, I believe uh eleven AM. Uh maybe I'll see you in the studio at some point.
3: Absolutely, man. I hope so. Thanks for having me too, man.
1: All right, buddy. Have a blessed day. We appreciate you. He is you too, uh man. Isaiah Victor with K. Caleb Calhoun, I'm Dave Hooker. I do want to get to this Gators chomp-chomp thing because as Paris Hilton would say...
2: That's hot.
1: It is. The Gators are falling apart with NCAA issues. I haven't seen ball fan for life there. Travis, I thought Yarbrough was very good as well. I thought there were times in clutch situations that he, he didn't uh, take the ball and, and, and run with it, so to speak. But let's talk Florida. The Gators... Have an NCAA issue, Caleb, and it goes back to the most embarrassing NIL issue that you could possibly imagine. And that is a player showing up on campus, say, hey, I'm ready to play. Oh, by the way, where's my NIL check? Oh, I'm sorry. You don't have one. That's essentially what happened to Jaden Rashada. Why is the NCAA involved? And I'll tell you why they should be involved.
2: Go, Caleb. So the NCAA's letter was dated back on June the 9th and it was addressed to school president Ben Sass and states the NCAA enforcement staff has begun an investigation. Um, Names of investigators were redacted and Rashada technically wasn't mentioned, but the NCAA asked the school not to conduct its own investigation and said it would notify the institution soon regarding the projected timeline of the investigation. This was last summer. It's the second NCAA investigation in four years for Florida. They were put on probation. Um, under Dan Mullen for a one-year show calls for recruiting violations in 2020. And it deals with Jaden Rashada. Now, that's what we can kind of figure out. Basically, here's what's suspicious about it. Florida tried to keep this quiet. I don't know if you know this, Dave. Um, The only reason this came out is because the Associated Press and the Tampa Bay Times had to get lawyers involved to file public request records under the Freedom of Information Act in October to try to find out that Florida was being investigated by the NCAA. So this looks just on the surface. The fact that Florida tried to keep it quiet suggests that this is way worse than it just seems on paper, right?
1: Uh, yeah. Okay, so here's the way a FOIA works. It's a Freedom of Information Act. You send in a – and listen, I've had Tennessee drag their feet on these things before, but you send in a FOIA request of certain things and you get them. Now, if, they, if there's a timing issue, they can make up, all kinds of excuses. One time we were looking for some information on correspondence between Roy Kramer and Philip Fulmer concerning Albert means, and they drugged their feet and took about six weeks because they printed off pages of stuff that we had to read through. And it was awful, but there was some very insightful stuff in there. Um, so it's one thing to drag your feet, but how many months are we talking about between when the first FOIA request was sent in and when now that
2: it's become available six months uh four months between okay four months between the letter and the first FOIA request and then three months between the FOIA request and it becoming available this over the weekend
1: okay that sounds too long to me it sounds too long to me and here's why the ncaa in all its glory has an opportunity to make itself look a little bit better Jaden rashada ended up at arizona state do you think he wanted to go to Arizona State when he had Florida and Miami all over him? I mean, that's sad. I mean, I know you I, I know you giggle, Caleb, but I, I know you're a good guy, too. I mean, the guy shows up at Florida, and then all the NIL money's already gone, so his fallback's Arizona State. Good Lord. So you, what do you do, get on a Southwest airline and then fly out there, and, hey, I'm the new quarterback? It was an absolute embarrassment, and th- this could further undermine – Billy Napier, does anybody think that he'll be the coach at Florida in 2025? Anybody? Anybody? Is there a more obvious hot seat in the nation? Certainly not the SEC in the nation than Florida.
2: No, um, and Napier made it worse by saying he did not expect an NCAA investigation. How did you not expect an NCAA investigation? when Uh, okay well i'll defend him a little bit because you don't know what the rules are well yeah and they're not clear on it that's fair what's interesting the reason i laugh by the way is because do you guys remember the college admission scam a couple years ago where celebrities were bribing colleges to accept their kids yeah and uh yeah one of them came out and said uh i just couldn't have my kid go to arizona state (laughs) arizona state was thrown under the bus i do recall that but, but Yeah, getting Josh Dawes. By the way, was committed to Arizona State before he committed to Tennessee. But yeah, yeah. And getting getting back
1: um, to and getting back to Florida or being a Tennessee fan, you know, I've Saban gone. Florida's in complete disarray. Georgia's Georgia, but I don't think they're as unbeatable as they've been in previous years when they were incredibly uh, uh, elite up front defensively. Um, So things have gotten a whole lot easier for Tennessee in the past week or so. Uh, and other schools in the SEC, who else would a Florida debacle help? Miami, Florida State,
2: Georgia so likes more.
1: okay, well, let me throw some let me let okay. me throw some more at you. Georgia, um, they do like to recruit in that area. That's basically the reason they have the largest cocktail party that in the boosters power that live in that southern Georgia area. They have that game in Jacksonville. So, maybe it helps Georgia. I don't think South Carolina is in a position where it could help them in recruiting. So, other than Tennessee, who does it help the most?
2: Georgia. And actually, it helps Alabama, who also likes to recruit Florida. I'm sorry. But Tennessee also plays them. I mean, when not you combine that, does it help? Not every year. More? It's not, it's, they're not going to play each other every year in, in the future. Sure. Um, I don't think Florida's an annual rivalry. I'll say this this is what's so intriguing about this. Yeah, it's Georgia and Alabama. And here's why, guys. The ACC is. I keep telling y'all this. The deal is so bad. Florida State and Miami are going to so fall so far behind, Dave. And Dave, I kind of think Florida. I kind of think they're stuck in that deal. Oh my gosh! And I, I saw someone say USF. No, it's not USF. It's UCF. Central Florida benefits the most. They're about to be a bigger school in Florida than Florida State or Miami. A bigger football program than Florida State or Miami. They're in a better conference, and the payout's going to be good. Central Florida is a potential national title contender in five to 10 years. That good. I think it
1: does help. uh, Goalish with
2: South uh, Florida still stuck in the group of five though. That's true. But I mean, it doesn't hurt. Um, It helps UCF the most though. UCF is a power five school now, and they're in a better conference than Florida state and Miami. UCF is going to be a better program than Florida state and Miami in five years. I mean, that's just a fact.
1: Do you really believe that?
2: Yes. Yes, and you can go by history, but Dave, don't forget, before Howard Schellenberg in Miami, Miami was a laughingstock of a program in football. Florida it was State Miami.
1: Bobby Bowden was a women's school. Like yes,
2: exactly. Um, they Florida almost, never they won almost an SEC title.
1: They almost disbanded football. I know you know this, but a lot of our listeners might not.
2: Florida never won an SEC title until Steve Spurrier. What happened, and for those who don't know, Florida exploded in population in the 50s and 60s with the invention of air conditioning. And all those kids were 18. All all the kids that were born after their parents moved there turned 18 in the 80s. That's really what happened in Florida. Well, you're now seeing UCF. I I think UCF is going to end up being a better program than Florida State and Miami because Florida State and Miami are trapped in the ACC and they can't get out. They, they, They lock themselves into a bad deal with the ACC and they can't survive. And UCF is going to scoop up those players. And UCF, like Florida, is centrally located. So they can get South Florida and Panhandle talent.
1: I still think it helps Tennessee um, as much as UCF, given what Tennessee has to, to offer. Um, I haven't been on UCF's campus in a while. But you, you and I talk about how facilities are pretty much equal across the elite programs on the board. I have trouble believing they're Elite at UCF. Elite customer oh, they service. They are Danny
2: White. You should ask Danny White about that. Danny White, he put a hot tub in the stadium. They built a new stadium like five years ago.
1: We're gonna talk, we're gonna talk about hot tubs in the stadium. Uh elite customer service still matters, and that's what you get with State Farm Agent Don Self and his team. They take customer service seriously. 423 296 2126. If you're in the Chattanooga area, it's right down below. Go to DonSelf.net, DonSelf.net. Don and his team will take care of you that, uh, man, he's been in business for over 40 years, Uh, take care of him. So what What else do the Vols need to happen? Kirby Smart to get hired by the Falcons? Is that pretty much it? Would that seal the deal,
2: make the trio? It certainly help. I, I, I want to get back to Florida real quick, <laughs> though, with this. with Rashada, do you think Florida's going to get on probation for this? Do you think they're going to get a bowl band? Do you think the NCAA is going to flex its muscles?
1: No, because I don't think they have any muscles, but I think it hurts them enough in recruiting to get Billy Napier fired.
2: That's probably and do you think they kept it quiet because they didn't want to get hurt in recruiting? Do you think that was the biggest reason? Yes. I could see that. I mean at this at this stage, this is I mean I think know, they probably tried, they,
1: they probably tried to drag their feet till after the second national signing day would be my guess.
2: We laugh at Billy Napier, we do, because he's not detail oriented, but Dave, can we be fair to him and say that it's you're only as good as as your as the competency of your NIL collectives. And you talked about it two years ago. Florida had the most incompetent NIL collective ever put together. And oh. it was actually – because didn't – who who was it you said? It was a former baseball player that we were talking about that kind of realized, like – because you were at SEC Media Days in 2022 before I joined uh, Off the Hook, guys. And Dave came back and said that he had heard that Florida's NIL was totally incompetent and uh, and awful. And then one of my first mentions on the show, within a month of that, I said – well, according to On3 reports, Florida's got an epic NIL collective. And Dave and I were both like, there's a gap here. How do they have a top five collective when, a, when when, you were at SEC Media Days, you were hearing it was incompetent a month earlier. Well, then we find out a former baseball player quickly cobbled everything together for them to try to run this collective and basically reported that they had more money than they had. And they they, they had not communicated properly. If this was a business on Wall Street, everybody would be going to jail for cooking the books basically. This is Wolf of Wall Street.
1: Yep. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Off the Hook Sports. A Wednesday means Jimmy Himes, so be sure and join us. Hit that like button on your way out. Greatly appreciate that. If you haven't subscribed yet, do that. For Caleb Calhoun, I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.